0: following as part of the teaching ministry of Harvest Bible Chapel in Barrie, Ontario. We believe firmly in proclaiming the authority of God's word without apology. I'm not sure um, we've had many other times where it's been that quiet in the room. Uh, thank you, Amy, for uh, doing that for us this morning. Uh, huge, huge blessing. I have the opportunity uh, to teach in our training center for church planting, and mostly I teach in the area of preaching. And uh, one of the newer sessions that I teach is on doing good introductions. And uh, I tell the guys that one of the rules, very often I hear the guys, they'll get up and they'll, these are young preachers, or are just starting out, they'll get up and they'll tell some story about themselves. And I'm like, No. Uh, Because uh, one of the rules in preaching is that um, you might think that some story about you is interesting, but everyone else is bored to tears. (laughs) And no one else thinks it's actually that interesting. So I have that rule uh, that I I don't start out with some personal story about myself. Um, But I'm going to break the rule today. (laughs) I told you all of that because I need to break the rule today. And just in case any of those guys that I've taught uh, preaching to are listening to this particular sermon on video... I, wanted, I want them to know why. But today, we're talking about children, and we're going to be talking about, uh, in this, the birth narrative of John the Baptist, as we kind of work our way through Luke's gospel, we're, we're talking about children and the potential they have, the potential that God gives them to do something amazing and awesome for him. And so I just felt like the need to tell you that um, that according to many reputable sources, I was a, a pretty great Child. <laughs> <laughs> yep, my mom told me so. Um, now I was a I was a pretty wonderful child, and um, it was when I became a teenager that things went off the rails, and um, and we won't we won't even really talk about uh, me as an adult. Um, but apparently, as a child, I was a pretty pretty good kid. Um, <clears throat> we could agree, I think, that. Children are filled. When you hold that little baby in your hand, you you, recognize the child has so much potential for the future. And we think about that. And that's what we see in the passage today concerning John's birth. The loved ones, the friends and family that had gathered uh, for the naming ceremony, for the circumcision of this little baby boy... They saw something in John. They were anticipating whatever it was that God was going to do through this this little child who had already had somewhat of an extraordinary entrance into the world. And I wonder if we, in a faith-filled way, believe that our children have a similar potential. And, And this is for more than just the parents of children. You might be sitting here going, I, I don't have any children, I, I, uh, I, I'm not there yet, I'm not even married, I hope maybe someday, but maybe this isn't for me, or maybe that ship has sailed for you, and it's not just for the parents. It's really for everyone who's part of the church family, who would teach or who would lead or who would help with or who would pray for or in some way would just be some kind of an example to the children that are in our care as a church family. That we would believe together that God could do great things through every child that's born in this church family. Amen? And so John's loved ones, and this is what we're going to see in the text today, they asked this question that just struck me as I read the passage. As they saw the circumstances of John's birth, they asked the question, what then will this child be? It's a great question that I would hope we would ask of every child that's in our care as well. What then will this child be? What then will this child be? A faith-filled question, laden with anticipation and hope for the great things God would do. So let's look at the passage together, and then I'm going to pray, and we'll start working through these verses. This is uh, Luke chapter 1, beginning at verse 57, ending at verse 66. Now the time came for Elizabeth to give birth, and she bore a son. And her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown great mercy to her and they rejoiced with her. And on the eighth day, they came to circumcise the child and they would have called him Zechariah after his father. But his mother answered, no, he shall be called John. They said to her, none of your relatives is called by this name. And they made signs to the father inquiring what he wanted him to be called. And he asked for a writing tablet and wrote, his name is John. John. And they all wondered, and immediately his mouth was opened and his tongue was loosed and he spoke, blessing God. And fear came on all the neighbors and all these things were talked about through all the hill country of Judea. And all who heard them laid them up in their hearts saying, what then will this child be? For the hand of the Lord was with him. Amen. It's a great word. Let's, uh, let's pray together. Father, this is a great passage. It's filled with anticipation. It's filled with faith. God, I pray we would see that uh, today for ourselves. That there wouldn't be anybody here who's kind of checking out, thinking this message isn't for them. Uh, God, I pray that your Holy Spirit would be convicting every one of us and showing us what truths we need to hear today. I pray, God, that those who are discouraged would be encouraged. I pray that those who are in rebellion would be challenged. I pray that all of us would be taught, and God, that your Holy Spirit would fill this room. I pray in the strong name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. All right, ready to go? Asking the faith-filled question, what will this child be, means, first of all, this celebration. Four words we're going to look at. Celebration is the first one. I place a high value on the child in my care and celebrate their birth and their presence in my life. I want to celebrate it. And we should all certainly have a sense that the birth of a baby is a time for great celebration. When a new baby is born, if you cruise through the news feed on, on Facebook, you'll just see many likes when there's the announcement of a new baby. Everybody's pretty excited about it. There are, there are showers to be had and there are congratulations that go back and forth. There are oohs, there are ahs. Uh, at, at any moment that a baby is born... Everybody says, oh, look how beautiful the baby is. Something women understand. And men go, it looks like every other baby. (laughs) About their celebration. Any time a baby is born, it's no different for Elizabeth and Zechariah here with the birth of John. In fact, there might have actually been a little extra celebration because of the circumstances. And we saw earlier in our study, uh, this was an older couple. They were past the childbearing years. Uh, Elizabeth wasn't able to have children anymore. They had never had any children of their own. It was so much on their heart. They had prayed for it and God had actually answered their prayer. Everybody saw that Elizabeth having a baby, her friends, her family, I think this is why everybody's like gathered around when John is born, is because this was a huge deal, that she should have a child. Verses 57 and 58 kind of tells the story. The time came for her to give birth. She bore a son, just as the angel had told Zechariah back in the temple. Her neighbors and relatives, they heard that the Lord had shown great mercy to her. Literally, he Same word when when Mary said, that word great there, when Mary said, I magnify the Lord, it's the same word. The Lord magnified mercy to them. He magnified it. He poured out mercy to a couple who couldn't have a child. He magnified mercy, showed great mercy, and they, notice, they rejoiced with her. And I hope... You know, today, uh, this message uh, was uh, timed, or at least the message was in line. But as I studied this passage out last spring, and I was just kind of feeling convicted that we needed to do child dedications in a slightly different way. And Pastor Mike had that on his heart, and Jeannie, who oversees our children's ministry, was thinking about that. And so that's why today we are actually going to be dedicating some children here. Four families are going to be bringing their children, two in this service, two in the next. And, and we're going to do it a little differently. We're going to say some different words. We're going to we're going to press the parents a little harder about their part in all of this and the commitment that they're making. And we want this to be a time of great celebration for our church. And I hope as we dedicate these children that we're all going to genuinely celebrate the thing that God is doing. This isn't a ho ha moment. This isn't just another thing that we do. We're doing this very intentionally and from our hearts and desiring to not just do some ritual. In fact, could I just say, child dedication is not a biblically mandated ritual for the church to practice. It's not. There are two rituals mandated to the church. Uh, That is the act of baptism and the act of the Lord's table. That's it. We practice child dedication just because it's a neat thing to do. It's a good thing to do. It's a wonderful thing for parents to stand up here and to say, hey, look, we want to give our children back to the Lord. He just gave us something awesome. We didn't deserve this. We want to say to the Lord, Lord, take this child and do whatever you please with him or her. You see, so this is a really from the heart sincere thing. We don't mandate that every parent do it. And so if you're standing up here doing it, uh, listen, you're doing it from your heart because you really want to. Because you're very serious about actually giving this gift that God's given to you back to the Lord for whatever He wills for that child. So you're not doing some religious ritual that you have to do to ensure this child has salvation. That's nonsense. not anything taught in the Bible. We're not doing that here today. It's, this is a parent's commitment to give their child back to the Lord. And this ought to, from the parent's On out to the entire church. So this isn't just the parents saying, we're all taking this pretty seriously. We're celebrating what God has done and the good gift that he's given. So we all ought to be placing a high value on the children that God has entrusted to us. This isn't just some ho-hum, oh yeah, there they are doing their ritualistic thing. It's not that at all. We ought to be into this. We ought to be excited about it. We ought to be celebrating with these families and celebrating as a church family seeing these children as a, an incredible blessing from the lord amen? amen so that's what this is about it's about celebration secondly it's about determination i rear my child according to god's word determined to do so no matter what anyone else thinks of me or them god's word god's way amen that's what we're going after here you see as the account here continues In verse 59, everybody's happy. Everybody's like rejoicing. You had a baby. This is amazing. They're following all the traditions and rituals that they had to follow after the baby is born. Eight days later, they come probably to the synagogue and they're going in to have this child dedicated uh, to the Lord uh, to name him and to have him circumcised according to the customs of the Jewish people. And everyone's happy. Until they get to the moment where they're going to name the child. Now, I have a, a personal pet peeve. I, I largely, 99% of the time, preach the word of God. And one-tenth of one percent of the time, I preach my pet peeves. All right? It's a little preacher's prerogative, all right? So you just have to give me a little fun here. But I'm, it really upsets me that, that parents find out the gender of their babies beforehand and have the name all lined up amen how many people are with me on this you don't like that amen amen a a decided demographic older person hand raise right there okay (laughs) decidedly how many people here parents you found out the gender of your child and had the name all picked out long before the birth raise your hand confess your sin now before the lord all right you had that all right i don't like that i don't like that at all why don't you just go ahead and unwrap all your christmas gifts ahead of time too No sense wrapping those things up. Just give them to people. Buy them. Go to Sears. Get what you're going to get. Just hand it to the person. There you go. You know what I'm saying? No fun at all. No surprises. All right. In your defense, if I could argue your side for you, because I feel like I need to preach the word of God, right? Are you okay with me preaching the word of God? Okay, so you want to know your mandate parents for finding out the gender and name of your child? Mary and Joseph, Zechariah and Elizabeth both knew the gender pre-ultrasound they knew the gender and they knew the name long before right so there you go i just did you a favor you now have your biblical mandate for knowing ahead of time check out verse 59 see what's going on here let's get this thing back on the track all right on the eighth day they came to circumcise the child and they would have called him zechariah after his father in fact, what was going on there, and if you look in the original language, the intent of the verb there is they were already calling him Zechariah. Oh, look at little Zechariah. He's so cute. Little Zechariah. We're going to name him Zechariah. They're already calling him Zechariah. Uh, but that was not the intention. That's not what the angel said to Zechariah when he was in the temple getting the mandate that they were going to have children. But all of these people are following the normal custom that would have been followed, that you would have. Named the firstborn son for sure after the father and and barring that at least after some other relative. There's nobody in their family named John. So this was unusual. They made the people made the safe assumption that that was what was going to happen. They were going to follow the custom. And verse 60 says this, but his mother answered Elizabeth standing there. I have a suspicion in that culture. Mothers didn't say very much of the naming ceremony. We understand this isn't some kind of uh, anti-feminist rant or anything, but the nature of the business in the first century was that the women weren't really to speak very often, certainly not in synagogue. And Elizabeth, though, she speaks up. And she said, no. His mother answered, no. He shall be called John. And um, this really upset uh, the people. And and, uh, they weren't willing to take... Elizabeth's word for it, probably because she was a woman, probably because she shouldn't be speaking, probably because it was so outside the norm. So they, they press the issue a little further. They said to her, none of your relatives is called by this name. You have no justification for this. We can't go down this road. They made signs to the father. By the way, this is indication we knew from earlier in the chapter that, that uh, Zechariah had been rendered mute. But now from this verse, we recognize he had also been rendered deaf because they're actually making signs to him. If he was able to hear, they would have been able just to speak to him, and he could have indicated back to them. But they're now actually making signs to him. I don't know what those signs were, but uh, the signs were to indicate what's the name supposed to be. Zechariah understood what was going on here, by the way, even though he could not hear. They made signs of the father inquiring what he wanted him to be called, and he asked for a writing tablet. I don't know if that was an iPad or a Samsung of some sort. Um... But an early tablet, obviously. Um, And he wrote, confirming what the angel had said, confirming what Elizabeth had said. His name is John. Now, the, the name John means Yahweh, or God, is gracious. Or Yahweh, God, is merciful. They have to understand that there are no accidents when it comes to naming children in the word of God. There are no coincidences. It's a deliberately chosen name. God was about to break into history in a way that history had not seen before. He was about to totally shift everything that had been happening to date. He was about to provide redemption, salvation, a way out, rescue for a people who desperately needed it. Namely you and me. God was about to show his mercy and his grace in a history-altering, Satan-crushing, sin-shattering, life-giving way. And he would do it through John. God is merciful. That's what his name means. The name itself is prophetic. Prophetic. Zechariah and Elizabeth were determined to go against what their relatives thought was the right thing to do, to go against all of the community norms, to go against all of the traditions of their people, and name their son John, because God had told them to. And I think about that. This one small challenge of tradition was just the first salvo in a barrage of assaults on the traditions of... That the people of God had embraced. God was about to upset everything. God was about to take the status quo and turn it on its head. And I would just love it if we would think not just of John here. But if we would think of our own children if we would think in the same terms, no matter what anyone else says we have to do, no matter what the world says ought to happen with our children, if we would believe something different, if we would believe that our children have the same potential in them to speak prophetically, to act prophetically, in a world that also needs to have the status quo turned on its head. It should start with the name. I'm serious about this part. There's a lot of parents who today just like to invent names. There's a lot of inventing of names. Then there's a lot of changing the spelling of names to make it really difficult on the children when they're learning to write and spell. (laughs) I think sometimes that's the only reason why this is done, or at least it's not thought of. And Cheryl and I were very old school when when it came to naming our children, and I just want to commend to you kind of uh, something that was handed on to us. This is nothing unique with us. But our priorities in naming um, were that the names needed to be current but not too current. You know what I'm saying? Like not the number one name being named today so that our kids in a class with 15 other kids na- with the same name. A current but not too current. Um, names that had strong spiritual meanings that also sounded good and that we liked. We had second names that honored family members. And, and then we kind of wanted to take the whole package of both names and, and make sure that it, it worked with our last name. And so Luke, um, our youngest, his name is uh, Luke John Bradley Dugard. So he's uh, Luke we just liked, strong name. I'll tell you about that in a minute. John, uh, name for his grandfather. Bradley, name for my brother. Uh, originally, we were gonna call him uh, John Luke and, 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 and call him Luke, just use his second name as his common name. Uh, but then uh, John... Jean-Luc Dugard sounded too much like Jean-Luc Picard if you're into Star Trek. And we were like, so you see what I'm saying there? You just don't want to put that together. Are you with me? We should just close in prayer now, shouldn't we? It's just so off the rails today. So we wanted their names to be as it was for John A prophetic name in other words we wanted the name when i use that word prophetic what i what i'm really saying is we wanted the name to preach we wanted the name to be just a little mini sermon about what we desired mostly what we desired for our children and so let me just show you these for a second up on up on the screen. So we we had these plaques made up a number of years ago with our child's name, with the meaning of the name and with a scripture verse that we attached to it that would form the basis for our prayers. And there's one of these over each of the kids' doors. And so Joel, his name means Yahweh is God. It's a great declaration of who the Lord is and we wanted our firstborn son, we wanted that to be a great declaration, we wanted it to be a very vertical, God-oriented Worship-centered name, and we wanted our firstborn son to be very strong in his commitment, and uh, and Joel very much is, and uh, we attached Isaiah twenty-five one to it. O Lord, you are my God; I will exalt your name, for you have done wonderful things, plans formed of old, faithful and sure. And so that forms the basis for our prayers for Joel, for Emily. Check this out now. Uh, her name is Industrious. That's the meaning. Um, Ephesians 2.10, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And our desire for Emily would be that she would be a servant of Christ, giving herself selflessly uh, for others and giving the glory to the Lord for all of that. And then Luke's um, name means bearer of light or life of the party. Either one. (laughs) Um Matthew five sixteen. let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your father uh, who is uh, in heaven. And for Luke, our aspiration was that uh, the joy and enthusiasm of Jesus Christ would flow out from him and the gospel of Jesus Christ would shine uh, from his life. And that's our desire for our three kids. And, and I would commend all of that to you. And if God answered for each of those three children that God has given to us, And we dedicated them all before the Lord, all very intentionally with those names in mind. If God would only answer those singular prayers for each of our children, that Joel's life would declare that Yahweh is God, that Emily's would be as a servant of Christ, that Luke would be a bearer of light, if God would only answer those one prayer, that that one prayer for each of our kids, it would be enough. Wouldn't it? It would be enough. And that's what we want. That's what John's life was about. It was a prophetic statement that God is merciful. He's going to come in His mercy and rescue us. A message the world desperately needs to hear. So as parents, are we determined to name our children in this prophetic sense? To pray for them that it would be fulfilled in their lives. And then to do everything we can possibly do to see that that's realized in their lives. It starts, by the way, parents, in making sure they're exposed to the gospel of Jesus Christ. That not only are they hearing the gospel in Harvest Kids or in Awana or in any other children's programs that they went to, but they're hearing the gospel from us. And not just hearing it, but they're seeing the gospel in us. And when you match the hearing... With the example of our lives. It's a powerful combination that almost guarantees that our children will indeed follow Jesus Christ. And with all of that said. Verse 63. Look at it again. His name is John. In this little phrase and they all wondered. They all wondered. Translation. What's up with that? Like what's going on here? This isn't just any other circumcision. This isn't just any other naming ceremony. There's something going on here that's beyond the norm. God help us that every dedication we ever do in this church would be beyond the norm, would be extraordinary, and would bring great glory to our God. Never, ever a ritual, a ho-hum. Always an awesome moment where we set children aside For the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, I'm not really too concerned about what others might think of me in the naming of my children or the way I raise them. Very concerned with what the Lord thinks. Amen? Very concerned with pleasing Him in all of this. Alright, check out this next. Anticipation. What are the words we've looked at so far? Celebration. Determination as parents and now anticipation. I trust God expressing my inability to know for sure, yet anticipating great things for my child in the future. We can't really know for sure, correct? We have no idea when we actually have these children or when we dedicate them up here at the front. We have no idea what the trajectory of their life is actually going to be but we can in faith believe for great things for our children. And Zechariah has this awesome, incredible God moment once he names his son, verse 64, and immediately after he says his name is John, they're all wondering. And immediately, as if they're not, they're wondering already. Check out what happens next. Immediately, his mouth was open and his tongue was loose. Immediately. God frees him of the discipline that had come upon him because he didn't believe. Now he believes. He had nine months without hearing anything, without being able to speak, a sabbatical of the senses to seriously consider what God was doing. God was doing an awesome thing. I wonder if God gave you nine months off from hearing and speaking. There are some loved ones around you right now wishing that God would give you nine months off from speaking. If God gave you nine months off from hearing and speaking and you were just alone with your thoughts and your prayers and your considerations of what and who God is, I wonder what would be the first thing that came out of your mouth. I mean, Zechariah could have been a little bitter. That during this special time in his life that would never be repeated, this pregnancy of his wife, he wasn't able to express himself even once. He wasn't able to tell anybody what God was doing. He wasn't even able to hear what was going on. He could have been bitter, but he wasn't. Verse 64 continues, he spoke, blessing God. The first thing that comes out of his mouth is praise. And in fact, next Sunday's message is the song of praise that Zechariah sings. The worship and praise of God fell from his lips as if a dam had been busted open. He couldn't help but worship his God for everything that he saw happening. And if God is at work in your life, if you're filled with the Holy Spirit, we've talked about what that means then the praise of God should never be very far from your lips, whether you've been rendered mute or not. The glory of God should be something that's emanating from us, and people should see it. Blessing flows from from what we say. People hear those words, and are they directing people to the Lord Jesus Christ? They have to admit everything we've seen so far. This is no ordinary naming ceremony. What's happening here, the the shift in names, the Zechariah speaking, it's a bit of a crazy scene. And so not surprisingly, as all of this is happening, verse 65 then tells us that fear came on all the neighbors, the friends and family that gather. gathered. They're so evidently in the presence of God working that they're afraid. They're fearful in the presence of God. One commentator, Garland, said that fear is a normal, listen now, fear is a normal response to evidence that something transcendent has touched their lives. In other words, when God shows up, people are afraid because his power is so, so tangible, so real, so awesome, so overwhelming There's every indication in the balance of verse 65 and into verse 66 that this persisted for some time. Fear came on all the neighbors in the moment. And then all these things, everything that had happened, were talked about throughout all the future tense. In an ongoing way, they were continuing to be talked about in all the hill country of Judea. And all who heard them laid them up in their hearts. That phrase, laid them up in their hearts, means that they they sorted up here. And every once in a while, they just kept talking about it. Hey, remember when John was named, that little baby, and all those crazy things happening, and Zechariah started talking again, and they were so old in the first place to have a baby? You remember that? What was going going on with that? I have no idea. I've been thinking about that too. For years and years, and not just in their village, but throughout all of Judea, people are talking about this birth. They had no idea what, but they knew that something was going to be happening here that was pretty special with this young child's life. He was going to be someone special. He was something special. He was going to do something special in the name of the Lord. I really want us to get to the place where the child dedications that we do in this church have that kind of anticipation, faith-filled anticipation, where the prayers that we pray are bold prayers, anticipatory prayers, faith-filled prayers. God, do something awesome with this child. That's the prayers that we need to be saying our amens to because we have no idea what God might want to do with any one of them. We had the privilege seven years ago of founding the Berry Pregnancy Resource Center. One of the best things we've done in 12 years. And uh, Kathy Peterson is the director of that center and uh, the mandate of that center is to support young girls, young men who are connected to young girls, young families to help them uh, before, during, and after a pregnancy to provide support in a life-affirming way. And so without ever saying uh, that we're not that fired up about abortion at all, that that violates, without going on that tack, we just affirm life. And we help girls that are in that difficult place of having to make uh, a a difficult decision. And and I wonder, because in seven years, there's actually a fair number of babies who are alive today who wouldn't be uh, alive if we didn't start the center, amen? I mean, that's, a, that's an incredible thing to think about. And, and as I think about some of the babies that have been helped through the PRC, just take a look up on the screen. Ooh. Ah. Uh. Right? Isn't that amazing? Because I think about some of the babies that have been helped through the PRC, I wonder, given the circumstances of their entrance into the world, I wonder, what then will these children be? What will God do through them? In fact, let me read a specific story as you just continue to look at those awesome pictures. This is from Kathy herself. She writes, several years ago, we served a young woman still in her teens who was caught up in every kind of dangerous and damaging lifestyle possible. She was literally on a fast track to destruction. And when she found out she was pregnant, she booked an abortion appointment. But she called the center, the Pregnancy Resource Center, before going to it. She'd already had more than one abortion. But because of the support that she received when she visited, she decided that she could continue her pregnancy this time. And in preparing to be a mother, called out to God and made many changes in her life. One day, several months after the baby had been born, the grandmother visited the center with her new grandchild. She said to me, this baby saved my daughter's life and your center saved this baby's life. Now, what stands out to me, Kathy writes, is that even before the child was born, the child was used by God to save the mother. The question's already been answered. What then shall this child be? The savior of his or her mother. Praise God for that kind of redemptive potential that exists inside one little baby's life. And here's what it's going to take for parents and for a church as a whole. It's going to take us saying, I want what God wants for my child. This is the anticipation. I'm trusting God. I'm expressing my inability to know for sure What's going to happen with my child's life? God gets to choose that. But I'm anticipating great things. I'm praying for great things. I have faith for great things for my child. Now here's, here's what's really difficult. Because if you're a parent willing to pray that prayer, or you're a grandparent willing to pray that prayer for your grandchildren, or you're a church willing to pray that prayer for the children in your church... It might mean sacrifices. It might mean that God calls your children to live away from you so that they're not right there in town and you don't get to have the happy little family gatherings every weekend that you want to have. It could mean great sacrifices. It could mean that your child, though you aspire for them to be, you know, making lots of money and being very successful in the world's eyes. And it may be that you have to set those kinds of aspirations aside because maybe that's not what God's going to choose for your child it could very well mean that God chooses a path for your child that's a very hard, difficult journey. One that you would never pick for your child. One that will create heartache for you. Because that's exactly what it was for Zechariah and Elizabeth. They were an older couple who have this child, and though they were likely long past before John began his ministry, remember that their son only lived maybe to the age of 30 or 31. He had the shortest of preaching careers. He ended up in prison. And he ended up executed because of the whim of a king who thought more with his loins than his head. hard life but again as i mentioned a couple of weeks ago jesus christ said there's no one greater born among women than john the baptist because Zechariah and elizabeth surrendered themselves first to god and surrendered their son to god for whatever god willed for them john is being preached about today great man of god the forerunner of jesus christ himself That was the path that accomplished the greatest thing that brought God the greatest glory. And as parents, listen, that's the greatest thing that we could do is just bring our children to God with no expectations of our own, but only anticipation of what God would do. God, this child is yours. Do whatever you please with his life. Do whatever you want with her life. Only answer this prayer that he or she would bring you the greatest glory possible. In whatever way you see fit to do that. Not an easy prayer. Not an easy thing to lay before him at all. Asking the faith-filled question, what then will this child be, means celebration, determination, anticipation, and finally this recognition. I give God the glory for what he is doing and what he will do in my child's life, recognizing that all Good things, all good things come from his hand. And I feel like I need to address something before we go any further here. Because I think this is the kind of message where some people might simply say, well, sure I'm at the starting point and and I'm having uh, my babies now and, and we have children and so we're at the outset and... If we haven't already been doing these things, I feel like we could be making some changes and we could get this on track really quickly because our children are young. But then there are some people here in the room, your children are older, they're in their teen years or they're in their college years or maybe you're uh, quite a bit down the road and your children are already adults and having children of their own and they're not exactly excited about the Lord and you're wondering, is any of this applicable to me? Can there be any turnaround at all? Is it too late? And the answer is no. Again, we don't know. The whole anticipation we have is a faith proposition as we've said. We don't know what God wants to do so we should never stop praying for our children no matter how old we are or they are. No child has fallen so far or messed up their lives so much that God can't rescue them and bring them back. In the scriptures we have plenty of examples of those who were notorious in their sin. But whom God called. Turning around the status quo of their lives. And heading them in a direction where they would accomplish great things for the Lord. Even towards the end of their lives. No one is so far that God can't rescue them. No one is so far that God can't use them. No one is so far that they cannot be rededicated to the Lord for his purposes. We need to continue to pray in faith. And so it seems to me with this last phrase in verse 66, that this is the kind of attitude and sentiment we all need to have concerning our children. Notice what it says, for the hand of the Lord was with him. Notice that it's written in the past tense. Everything we've been reading has been kind of in the moment, telling us the story. This is in the past tense, as if if Luke is now writing from his own time, when he's writing the gospel, looking back and saying, when you look at the totality of John's life, it was very evident that the hand of the Lord was with John every step of the way. When we see our children growing, when they get to their teen years and their 20s, when we see them as, as adults who are really a living for God, are we taking some of the credit for that as parents? Are we, are we promoting ourselves and our excellent parenting? And look how well we've done. Or are we giving God all the glory? Are we with tears in our eyes recognizing that the hand of the Lord is with this child? It wasn't anything we did. When our kids, and I'm speaking to parents and to the churches as a whole, when they do great things for God, are we genuinely giving the Lord the glory for that? Do we have it in our heart to continue to pray that they will be sacrificing for Christ, giving their life for Him, tapping into His strength, doing things that only He could do through them, living their lives in radical obedience to Him? As we think forward to this study in Luke and the, the things that John the Baptist would accomplish... We know that at the age of 30, he'll start preaching. We know that what he's preaching is in essence, and I'm going to use a word here that many of you will know, but few of you will understand. But he's preaching a message of revival, a coming back to life. And I, I, I think about what we could be praying for our own children, what we could be praying for our own city and for this country. I think God has blessed us in a pretty remarkable way here at Harvest. I think that what we've seen in the past several years and a number of people who've come to faith in Christ is an awesome thing. It's God in our midst. God has done it. But it's still not at the level of what we would pray for in terms of revival. When revival comes, a people flock To hear the preacher. People bow their faces in repentance. People get serious about the sin issues in their own lives. They're quick to repent. They're quick to turn their lives over to Jesus. They're quick to see the changes that need to happen in their lives. That's what happens in revival. It isn't all pretty. It isn't all comfortable. It isn't all 9 and 11, 15 on Sunday morning. And it doesn't just happen in one church, but in many It sweeps through a city. That's revival. We don't don't have it yet. John brought it to Judea. John preached a message that saw people flooding in droves to the Jordan River to repent of their sins and be baptized. A baptism of repentance. Because the kingdom of heaven was coming. Jesus Christ was going to come and John was preparing the way for the message that Jesus would bring. That would turn the entire society, indeed the whole world, on its head. That's what we need. We need revival. We need parents who are willing to stand up here. And I, I would challenge the parents who would come up here right now with their children to dedicate them, that they would pray a prayer where they would ask God to set their children aside. That if it's not going to happen in our generation, it'll happen in theirs. That a great revival would sweep this city and this country. Amen? God, do that in our time. But if not, use our children to bring it about in their time. Whatever God wants for my child... Let me, God, steer them in that direction. To pray for that, to serve Christ with all that they are—not money, not security, not happiness, not success by the world standards—but that they would serve Christ and Christ alone. That's the call. I believe change is needed. We have more entrenched traditions than we care to admit. We're more locked into a way of life than we realize. We're more in need of God breaking into our status quo than we want to admit to one another this morning. We need our sons and daughters. We need the moms and dads of those sons and daughters. We need the church of Jesus Christ to be the God-ordained agents of revival as John was. We need to look at every child that we bring before the Lord and see the unlimited, God-given, redemptive potential that they have. And we need to ask the faith-filled question of every one of them. What then will this child be? Here's the way we're going to close this service. Pastor Mike's going to come up right now. And uh, we're going to invite two families uh, to come up. And they're going to dedicate their children as a response to what we've seen. And uh, we're going to pray in earnest that God does something awesome through these two children. Amen? Amen. Amen. Thanks so much for listening. We pray that today's message was encouraging and challenging. For more info about Harvest Bible Chapel, check us out online at harvestberry.ca. Thanks again, and remember, you are loved.